So the leader has to be able to take a big aerial view of that whole situation and somehow become a transformer. A leader has to know how to transform energy, to not reject energy, to see people's gifts, to see their obstacles, and continuously reorchestrate the situation so that people have a chance to grow. Hello, brave ones, and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, your host and monologist. All of us here at Be Here Now and Dharma Moon sincerely hope this podcast finds you well. Today's episode is a classic-style David's View, a shorter episode with David and I as his podkick in discussion around a CSM and Dharma topic. In today's episode, we discuss mindful leadership. While acknowledging these podcasts are evergreen, I would also like to acknowledge up front that we record these discussions several at a time, and this one was recorded in January 2022. I'm now submitting this podcast six months later, one day after the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade, a few weeks after the shootings in Uvalde, and when we recorded this podcast, Russia hadn't even invaded Ukraine yet. And here we are. So, we aren't discussing those matters directly here. However, it is important that we acknowledge reality when speaking of spirituality, especially as we move through this apocalypse. And apocalypse literally means a lifting of the veil. This discussion seems fairly well-timed because it is acknowledging the nature of freedom within systems and how leadership sets the tone for said systems. It is also our view that mindfulness is an important antidote to much of the aggression and delusion within the world and within ourselves. So, we remain steadfast in our commitment to presenting this material in these times, and we sincerely hope that these discussions are a benefit. We appreciate you listening and wish you all the best on your journey. And now, on to our David's View episode on mindful leadership. First thought, best thought, right, Michael? That's right. So I thought of a couple dancing. Mm. And uh, there's a notion of leading and following in dance, but it's um, could be misunderstood uh, as one person kind of knows what they're doing and is kind of dominating the and controlling the situation. The other one is just sort of going along for the ride. Or there could be a give and take, even a, a kind of a time switching of uh, those roles, those energetics, which is when you see great dancers, that's what's really happening. And uh, the idea of dance, understanding the dance as, as a role, as an aspect of becoming a good leader, that you understand that element of play, of dance, of exchange. You understand that sometimes you talk, sometimes you listen. You understand that sometimes you control, sometimes you follow. Um, and, you know, this is one of my, I guess, cause celeb recently is that there's so much brilliance in the world. And you look around for great leaders, and they are very, very rare. They're like as rare as a snowflake in June. Uh, the qualities that have to come together for somebody to really manifest leadership at any level is, a, I don't want to say a lost art, 
it doesn't seem to be, you know, if you look at who leads the United States, are they trained in leadership, really? Is somebody training somebody in the principles of leadership? Um, in the absence of training, leadership turns, it turns into a grab for power, for control, for dominance, uh, for access to resources, uh, for a sense of strengthening identification rather than unification. It's, um, it's a great topic. And the other topic I think that we got onto with it was the idea that leaders have to be versed in the art of conflict resolution. Because when you try to do anything, you know, you try to organize anything, it's, there's an essential ingredient of like herding cats. You know, people have their own agenda. They have their own uh, wisdom. They have their own neurosis. When you try to bring a team together to orchestrate something uh, skillful, uh, this takes a tremendous amount of finesse. And as you said before we started, you know, ego is just not your amigo in this regard. What does that mean? What does that mean to you, Mike? What, is, what, what do you mean when you said that? It's funny because that was a reflection that came up in my mind from a conversation a while ago that we were just having casually about leadership. And you said ego doesn't make a good manager. And you also do say ego is not your amigo. And, you know, in mindfulness and Buddhism, we use the word ego a lot, right? But um, Buddhism is older than the term ego. So sometimes I just think <laughs> like false sense of self, you know, and like, what is that? You know, this sort of really claustrophobic sense of this I who is ultimately the most important, right? So like, I think if if you're leading and I'm until I started working with you, I was mostly self-taught. I've led a big band for 20 years, you know, and um, just figured it out as I went along. And I would like to publicly apologize to everyone <laughs> the first 19 years, you know. Um, but like, under that is like an intention, right? So is your intention for whatever endeavor you're leading simply your own self-aggrandizement and gain? Or is there some broader vision along with what you've identified as perhaps your bliss or your driving principle? What about that can be a vehicle to build community, to expand well-being, you know, to uh, why and why would somebody want to take a ride on, on your bus? You know, like if. Yeah. Uh, wow. um, you know, there's. There's we talked about the three yanas of Buddhism earlier, which is the Indian tradition, not just I mean, Tibetans inherited it from, the, from India is the Hinayana, which is kind of, you could say, has clarity and definition about what's good and what's not helpful, you know, what's helpful, what's not helpful. And you start to really develop discipline, Sheila, based on understanding the difference between things that are helpful and things that are harmful in, in a general sense. And then you quoted Susan Piver saying in the Mahayana, um, there's a notion of using... Um, you know, what might be a harmful activity to expand compassion in the situation, to extend greater compassion. Vajrayana, uh, you quoted her as saying, 
uh, the energy itself of, of the kind of, um, you know, what might be called harmful emotions is also has a wisdom aspect to it embedded in it. So, um, if you look as a leader, you should probably be aware of all three perspectives and have some conversance, uh, conversion uh, with all three perspectives so that, for example, you see somebody who's very proactive, almost aggressive, maybe cocky, as having potential to go get things done, you know, to move the ball. And if you think of it like a, a soccer team, a football team, European football, the soccer, you don't want somebody who's going to be tight and defensive out on the front flank of your soccer team. Um, that's the goalie. So leadership to me is also recognizing what people's natural capacity is, which is totally interwoven with their, uh, with their kind of dysfunction. They're, those two things are usually so interwoven, it almost makes you want to quit, basically, as a leader. You look at you go, like if somebody looked at the United States today, no, no, I don't want to, you know, this is my native country and I love it. But you look at what's going on and you go, um, the neurosis is so interlocked with the wisdom aspect of it. Like people are using freedom to mean you, you have the freedom to go out and blow people, blow people's brains out with a gun. You know, like beautiful concepts are, are becoming interlocked with kind of personal aggression and, and solidification of, of identity groups. At a, at a level which is harmful to the to totality of the situation. And so the leader has to be able to take a big aerial view of that whole situation and somehow become a transformer. A leader has to know how to transform energy, to not reject energy, to see people's gifts, to see their obstacles, and continuously reorchestrate the situation so that people have a chance to grow. Um, because otherwise, if you think that it's automatic that people are going to grow and, and get insight. That's utopian. And th those things have never worked. And on the other hand, if you think they can't grow and learn, you, you've um, created a situation which is kind of hell on earth, really. You know? So is the leader should have some positive sense of the potentiality of all people. That would be a good quality in a leader. The leader should have very small um, investment in their own reputation even in their own uh, you know what what um uh getting credit for example you know um leaders should um not be afraid of their own passion of their own enthusiasm they shouldn't doubt their own initiative their own intention their own aspiration they should have some um, willingness to engage themselves as as a um, as a creator as a creative force. So everybody, and the way I understand and learned about leadership, it's there's a hierarchy at times, you know, that takes place. But everybody is within that uh, structure is both a leader and a follower. You, you know, you have to serve, and then you also, you know, you need support. So that would be um, a few thoughts. You? I mean, there is so much in there. You know, let's see if I can 
like talking about America and seeing people's wisdom and neurosis and how how they're related and we can tip into neurosis, especially if we just think things are going to flower by themselves, right? So if you're a leader, you need to have the ability to discern which way things are tipping. So there's this element of discernment, right? But also like in America, in regards to freedom, part of the reason things are tipping a certain way is because of um, imp- impure view, right? What do we think freedom is? Mm. What are the mythologies and stories underpinning what we think freedom is? And how are those stories leading to an entrenched sense of suffering, right? Mm. So if we shifted our view of freedom, perhaps we might have less suffering. And from a leadership perspective, that would take very skillful communication, right? Communication. Yeah, so that's a good one. Discernment and communication, Ooh. right? And then also sort of believing in the richness of yourself and other people and how those things are interrelated, right? So if we're having a mindfulness conversation, right? How do you touch your own richness and neurosis? How do you see it clearly, right? So like, I mean, that, you know, the actual leadership in the field is a post-meditation practice, right? And then... Well, if you see it that way, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're talking about it in a mindfulness framework, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and chicken and the egg is <laughs> is meditation to practice so that you can have, a, you know, a kind of resplendent post-meditation experience? Or is... Um, Post meditation, the actual practice and 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 formal meditation practice is a way of just um, tightening some screws that are before you put the car on the road. <laughs> well, yeah, and, I mean, th- th- then we're just driving the car right into spiritual materialism, right? Which it, it so you know, are we are we meditating? Why are we meditating? Are we doing it just to make ourselves look better and yeah. a stronger sense of ego versus um, yeah? Lessening our sense of ego. Well, leaders, you know, um, you know, one question is, are they born or are they raised? You know, and there's through through history, I guess you could look at, see certain leaders that almost looked like they were born into the situation. So naturally inclined. And there also could be a trans uh, transformational point. Um, like, for example, we talked in one of the other podcasts about Ramana Maharshi, who's just still on my mind because of this wonderful documentary about him, that his pathway to becoming a genuine leader, like people are still following him today. He's been dead since 1950. Uh, that's 70 years ago. And people, there's an ashram there and people are going there and, and there's his room is still there and you can still get a hit, you know, from from that, that person's uh, quality of presence but his journey started as conventional you know uh education withdrawal completely he went into a kind of what most people would describe as a kind of dysfunctional psychotic state in which um he wasn't even paying attention to food or clothing or anything people were beating him up he didn't care you know he was just completely and then emerging into a role in which people are saying this is the guy that's the guy you want to go hang out with that's the guy you want to uh but, you know, take time, go spend some time just being with this person. 
and being kind of according to the documentary anyhow, a fastidious leader you know working with the details of the ashram the um there was an amazing scene in it in which uh, this this is going to be hard not to um, lose it with this because he apparently had a gift with animals like St. Francis of Assisi from your tradition, you know, from your people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the animals would come around him and, and they would behave completely differently. And there was one cow that was part of the Sangha there. I mean, that's the only way to really part of the community. And the cow was getting old and was dying. And he put one hand on the cow's heart and one hand on the cow's head and just dropped it into samadhi basically uh, as it left this world peacefully calmly and there was no sense of differentiation that oh this is a, a lower being or something like that and also there was no caste system in his community there was no sexual bias you know towards um, oh, men are the only ones who are going to get this so um, when, when you get to that level of pure being, the leadership seems to be you're invited by the universe to become a leader, actually. Buddha was invited. Buddha got enlightened and then was invited to become a leader. You know, um, not the other way around. It's interesting. So sometimes people drop out of activity. They drop out of leadership roles. They drop out of engagement. But if they stay dropped out uh, after they achieve some kind of clarity of mind, there's still usually something lingering there that wants to create a bubble out of that clarity of mind. And, and I, it, we call it the Pratyeka Buddha Yana in Buddhism. And it's considered a kind of dead-end uh, cul-de-sac where uh, you have some realization, but you, you just become an isolated solo practitioner. And the way I was taught, that's like has to be pe pierced through to get into the Mahayana perspective, which is that... Um, if you really want to understand clarity of mind, it's interdependent with other beings. There is no clarity of mind that's isolated. No such thing. <laughs> it's like Buddhahood is unconditional, but relational. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Uh, thank you, David, and thank you, everyone, for listening. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. It's like Buddhahood is unconditional and relational. Food for thought at the conclusion of this episode. We would like to thank you all for listening. We would like to thank our friends and colleagues at the Be Here Now Network for their support in broadcasting these episodes and also for producing them. We are very grateful to be a part of Be Here Now and we are grateful for that community. We would also like to encourage everyone to go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash David, specifically if you would like to check out more CSM episodes and in general, if you would just like to check out more of their amazing content as they continue Ram Dass's legacy and also transmitting um wisdom from many traditions around the world and time if you would like to connect with david and myself and all of our dharma moon community we encourage everybody to go to www.dharmamoon.com and check out what we have going on there uh, we're always running great programming um, and it's a great place to come to learn mindfulness to 
establish and deepen a meditation practice and to connect in community. So we encourage you to join us there as well. And that's about it for this episode. I think I've said all the things I'm supposed to say at the end. If you like this episode, please share it on social media platforms, etc., etc. Announcer voice. But seriously, five stars? Let your friends know about it? We'd appreciate it. Anyway, I think that's enough for today. We sincerely hope this episode has been of some benefit and that you enjoyed it. And we wish you all the best. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. Thank you.